thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. I'm delighted to have you with me today as we continue this series I've been doing for the last three weeks on the rule of law and specifically trying to help explain why the rule of law no longer exists in America. Even though we pride ourselves on it, throughout the term the rule of law, refer to the fact that we're a nation of laws and not of men, that reality no longer exists. And last week, I spoke to the fact that the Christian community really gave up the rule of law by abandoning the importance and the relevance of creation to its own doctrine and teaching. Also talked about how this abandonment was was brought about by the shift that began to take place from what I've referred to throughout our podcast is objective theology. The shift from an objective theology which starts with who is God and what has he done to a subjective theology which starts with mankind and with our existential problems. And I also explained last week how that shift was at least in part precipitated by what was going on in philosophy and metaphysics in the academic community. Namely, the idea of Immanuel Kant, that while the phenomenological world, the world of things, could be known and studied, empiricism, they could not give us any insight into the noumenal world, the spiritual world, the things of God. And of course, as we discussed last week, that is exactly the opposite of and in contradiction to the whole of what Scripture teaches that creation reveals the glory of God. And as Paul said in Romans chapter 1, it is the fact that the glory of God and certain things about God are so clearly made known to us in creation that we are all therefore condemned and guilty before God for repudiating that glory, not giving thanks to God for that glory, for exchanging the glory of God for something else, and for changing the truth of God for a lie. And today, what I want to speak to is why the rule of law cannot exist if a God of creation, distinct from that creation, does not exist. In other words, the God of pantheism will not do, and you'll see why in a moment. But you have to have the creator God distinct from creation that the scripture talks about in order to have a rule of law. Now, I want to begin with a statement about what the rule of law is that I think will put all this in a proper context. Lord Henry uh, Bracton, or sometimes referred to as Lord Bracton, he was a 13th century English cleric and jurist who became famous for his uh, treatise on the laws and customs of England. So he's a, he's a person who wrote on the laws of England, the common law of England, prior to William Blackstone, who wrote in the, in the 1700s. 
And here is what he wrote that is important to this question of the rule of law. And this is sort of an early statement of the rule of law. He said this, the king himself ought not to be under man, but under God and under the law, because the law makes the king. Now just hang on to that for a moment. We're going to continue with the next sentence. Therefore, let the king render back to the law what the law gives to him, namely, dominion and power. For there is no king where will, W-I-L-L, and not law, wills dominion. So what is he saying here? He's saying that the king, who at that time would have been the, the highest ruler, the, the, the monarch, okay, so let's, let's trace that back to even, let's say, the pharaohs and the Nebuchadnezzars and all of them. He's saying that, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The king has to be under God. He can't be God. Then if he's God, then he can exercise will and do whatever he wants. He is under God. And notice this, and he says, under the law. Well, what is he meaning by that? Well, if God creates, and everything he creates is under God's law for its existence, for its understanding of its meaning and its purpose, well, then the king, having been created, is under God, and he's under law too, a law pertaining to the nature of the king and his authority, which is what he's saying. Let the king render back to the law what the law gives him, namely dominion and power. So why does the king have any dominion or power? Because the law would give it to him, but the law comes from God, and the king is under God and under the law. And so what he does is he says there is no king where will and not law wills dominion. What he's saying is the legitimacy of the king depends upon him recognizing that he is under God and under the law of God. And otherwise, all we have is tyranny. Now that's how you could have had the nobleman rise up against King John with the Magna Carta and say there's some things, king, you just cannot do. And therein lies the rule of law that men and their rulers are under a law that comes from God because God created all things and imbued in them that which is essential to their existence and operation and fulfilling the purpose for which he created those things. Now, Here's where we're going to now see the development of this concept of rule of law set forth in William Blackstone's Commentaries on the Laws of England, written in the 1700s. Now, the reason this is so important is, as I've said in multiple videos over the last few weeks in relationship to all this COVID mess, the Constitution of the United States, the Supreme Court has said, must be interpreted in the language of the common law and according to its history. The common law was the nomenclature from which the words in the Constitution were derived. And of course, our state governments are actually common law governments. So what 
Blackstone has to say about the common law is vitally important to understanding our Constitution, but as you'll see, what he also writes before he starts talking about specific laws of England is essentially the rule of law and its foundation in a creator God. In other words, what Blackstone does is he moves from the objective to the subjective, from God to man. He begins with who is God and what has God done in order to then talk about the laws of England, the laws to which the king and the parliament and the people are subject. And here is how he begins his introduction on the nature of laws in general. So again, before he gets to anything specific about the common law, like you can't make a promise and then not fulfill it or, or take somebody's goods and services and not pay for them, before he gets to any of those particulars, the existential anthropological problems, he lays down the nature of laws in general. And this is what he says. Law in its most general and comprehensive sense signifies a rule of action and is applied indiscriminately to all kinds of action whether animate or inanimate, rational or irrational. Thus we say the laws of motion, of gravitation, of optics, or mechanics, as well as the laws of nature and of nations. And of course the word the laws of nature, you'll recall, is put into the Declaration of Independence. And he says, and it is that rule of action which is prescribed by some superior and which the inferior is bound to obey. Now that's law in its general sense. And think about that. Your parents have what? Laid down the law to you, have they not in the past? And what is the idea there? They are the superior, you're the child, you're the inferior, and you are bound to obey. Same thing can happen at work. I want you to be in at the office on Saturday, and if you say I'm not coming in on the office on Saturday, he can fire you. Why? Because he's the superior and you're bound to obey. Okay, but he's saying that that same concept of a rule of action, this is, this is what you have to do, given by superiors to inferiors, applies everywhere. And this is then how he next begins. Thus, he says, when the supreme being formed the universe and created matter out of nothing. You see, he's beginning his study of law with Genesis 1.1. Blackstone continues. So when he formed the universe and created matter out of nothing, he impressed certain principles on that matter from which it can never depart, and without which it would cease to be. Now, Scripture also, if you remember, in Colossians tells us, in him all things hold together. So what he's saying is, for a rock to be a rock or a tree to be a tree, it has to adhere to the laws of nature that were, were imposed upon it, or it ceases to be a tree a rock, it disintegrates into something else, or the tree dies. And then he goes on and he says, and when he put that matter into motion, he established certain laws of motion to which all movable bodies must conform. If we farther advance from mere inactive matter, okay, the rock, which if you drop it, it's going to fall, to vegetable and animal life, we still find them governed by laws, more numerous indeed, but equally fixed and invariable. 
So again, as we look at nature, he's saying just look at the glory of God and nature all around you, and you begin to see all of these things are governed by laws. And that failure of whatever that thing is to obey the law of its nature is a problem. It ceases either to exist or something's gone wrong. And he says, this then is the general signification of law, a rule of action dictated by some superior being, maybe your parents, right? Maybe your employer, God. And in those creatures that have neither the power to think nor to will, such laws must be invariably obeyed. The tree doesn't sit here and say, I don't think I like the law of photosynthesis. I don't think I'm going to allow it to operate within me. He says, no, no, no. Those that don't have the power to think or to will, they invariably obey them, so long as the creature itself subsists, for its existence depends on that obedience. As I said, if the tree were to refuse to adhere to the law of photosynthesis, it would die. He said, but laws in their more confined sense, and in which it's our present business to consider them, which is what we're doing now, looking at the laws of man. He says, denote the rules not of action in general, but of human action or conduct. Now, this is where the modern man today would say, well, of course we acknowledge all these laws of science and of nature. But when it comes to man, somehow we're not a part of nature. Although evolution says we're evolved. So why? Uh, all the rest of nature would have laws that it must obey, but that which evolved into human life would not have any laws of its nature it would obey is illogical, irrational, and inconsistent. But we've allowed people to dupe us into thinking that way. But Blackstone doesn't think that way. And so he continues and says, man, considered as a creature, must necessarily be subject to the laws of his creator. For he is entirely a dependent being. I mean, that's what Scripture says, Isaiah chapter 2, I think it's verse 17. Why do you keep esteeming man? The breath of life is not even in his nostrils. We don't exist independently of anything else. We're all dependent upon a sperm and an egg to bring us life, and that sperm and egg brings life when God allows it to connect and has created it such that it will produce life. See, we allowed science to just fool us into everything. There are lots of sperm and egg, and, and they don't all create life. But because one does connect, we assume, oh, see, we created life. No. No. The principle of life, the principle of being, exists independently only in God. See, when you don't start with who is God and what has he done, you get all messed up. So... He continues on, man must be subject to the laws of his creator, and as man depends absolutely upon his maker for everything, it is necessary that he should in all points conform to his maker's will. And you see what he's saying here? He's saying we're just like everything else. We are dependent upon our Creator, and we must conform to the will of our Creator and Maker if we're going to continue to subsist. And then he makes this statement, this will of his Maker is called the law of nature. 
For as God, when he created matter and endued it with the principle of mobility, established certain rules for the perpetual direction of that motion, so when he created man and endued him with free will to conduct himself in all parts of life, he laid down certain immutable laws of human nature, whereby that free will is in some degree regulated and restrained and gave him also the faculty of reason to discover the purport of those laws. Okay, now we're going we're gonna to stop here and talk about this for a moment here. So he, he's, he's saying, we don't have complete freedom of the will. Now there are some Christians who would say we do, but we do not, because we will crash and burn. You cannot go against God's creational norms and not break yourself and disintegrate yourself. There is a limit to all things, even how far we can go. And right now we're trying to recreate what it means to be man by saying our bodies don't matter. It's just our subjective determinations of who we are. And so a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man, but you cannot really do that. You will crash and burn when you run into the creational realities and the law of nature that God has said, your will cannot go there without me breaking you. So we have to appreciate that. It doesn't mean that we can't try to change our bodies, but the law of nature and of nature's God brings an end to all of those futile imaginations of mankind. That our will can do that, and there are no consequences to our being and our subsistence and to the society that approves it. In fact, Blackstone goes on to say that uh, God in his wisdom laid down those laws that um, fit who we are. In other words, we're constituted beings by God that should not commit murder or steal or covet. You see what, what he's saying here? that God has established what kind of beings we are, what kind of law we're under, and of course there will be consequences to us if we ignore them. Now, Blackstone continues on. This is important, and we'll wrap up with this part and come back to something else next week. But he says, this law of nature, it, it being coeval with mankind and dictated by God himself, is of course superior in obligation to any other. And that goes back to thinking about what Lord Bracton said. The king is under the law. The king can't just be the superior over everybody because he is under the law and must give back to the law that which the law gives him, power and dominion. Blackstone continues, this law of nature that God has, has infused into mankind and into creation is binding over all the globe in all countries and at all times. In other words, there's not a different law for human existence for our being as humans that's different in Greece or Italy or from America. And at all times, those basic laws of our nature do not change. Then he continues, no human laws are of any validity if contrary to this, and such of them as are valid derive all their force and all their authority immediately or immediately from this original. In other words, 
the photosynthesis is the law of, of a nature that's that's imposed immediately. God directly imposes that law upon the tree, let's say, or the plant. And and some laws are imposed on us immediately. Okay? Such as, you know, we we shouldn't steal, we shouldn't kill. But others are imposed on us immediately, meaning that they are mediated to us, and he's referring here, of course, to civil government. Now, I'm going to stop here for today, but I want to come back to what he has said about reason and the importance of Scripture, because he recognizes that creation and the fall of man prevent us from having the clarity that we would need to understand this law of nature, this law of human existence, this law of human nature. And we'll talk about that next week. But as you can see from this week, when you abandon the doctrine of creation, that Scripture talks about so much, and we talked about last week, you have abandoned the basis for the rule of law. And I hope you'll join me next week as we continue this series on the rule of law. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.